The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. This is Jesus praying to his Father for his disciples. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I do notice some new faces here at One Fellowship. We go through whole books of the Bible in our sermon series, and so uh, we are in John 17, the second half or second part of John 17. We're splitting it into three parts. It's called the High Priestly Prayer of Jesus. I'm so excited to unpack this passage with you today. But before we dive in, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to begin by asking everyone this question. Have you ever considered the power of a name? As reported by CBS News back in 2019, football players are usually seen as tough, especially when they are six feet, eight inches tall and weigh 313 pounds. But one college athlete's sideline surprise is melting hearts across the United States. Quote, my name is formerly known as George Grimwade, but now it's George Grimwade Musto. The Sanford University football player pictured here said in a viral video produced by the school's football program, I decided to change my last name because my stepdad, which sounds weird calling him my stepdad because he's always been a dad to me. He doesn't have anyone to carry on his last name. He raised me ever since I was in second grade. And I feel like I owe it to him to carry on his last name. I just want to see his legacy live on forever. Thus, on September 26, 2019, Grimwade legally took the name of his stepdad and then did something magical to break the news to his stepdad and to the world. The large offensive lineman surprised his stepdad by running up to him, 
on the sideline of a live Sanford football game wearing a jersey with his stepdad's name on the back. The encounter brought everyone who was watching to tears. Here's a picture of their embrace. In that moment, the young man told his stepdad, now officially his dad, I love you so much, dad. You really do mean the world to me. Without you, I don't know who I am, nor would I know where I'm at. I'm really happy I get to carry on that last name for you, and I hope I treat it well. Beautiful story, right? I especially love the line, I just want his legacy to live on forever. You see, there is power in a name. By name, we are tied to a legacy. By name, we are invited into certain intimacy. By name, we are welcomed into community. And by a, by a name, we might be granted certain authority. Turning to our passage, John 17, verses 9 to 19, we see this concept that there is power in a name at the center of Jesus' high priestly prayer. And as we will together discover over the next few minutes, Jesus' hope for his followers is that this concept will not only show, shape how we believe, but how we behave in the family of God. So Savannah, you ready? The big, yeah, you are. The big idea from our passage today is this. Jesus wants us to experience pure joy by calling us in and calling us out in the Father's name. Our passage begins, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. I am glorified in them, and I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one even as we are one. So friends, what's in the name? Well, from a biblical perspective, we're, we're talking about the Lord Almighty, Yahweh, the great I am, absolutely everything is in a name. Specifically, God's name represents his faithfulness, his presence, and his power. Do you guys recall the story from Exodus chapter 3 when Moses met with God at a burning bush? You ever read that story or hear about that story? In that encounter, Moses goes on to ask God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And then God continues, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Thus, the name of God represents God's faithfulness to his people from one generation to the next. Moreover, God's name represents his presence with his people. Later in the Old Testament, 
when Moses was leading the Israelites through the wilderness to their promised land and they were struggling or acting like knuckleheads, right? Moses cries out to God in Exodus chapter 33. And we read, lead these, excuse me, you've been telling me lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. To which God replies, my presence will go with you. I will give you rest. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my the Lord in your presence. Thus, the name of God represents his ongoing presence with his people. By his name, he sticks with them. And by his name, he sticks with us through thick and thin. And lastly, God's name represents his power. Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? Raise your hand. All right. David, a mere shepherd boy at the time, heard that the Israelites were facing doom by this invading army, the Philistines, and there was this gnarly giant, his name was Goliath, who kept taunting the Israelites, right? All were frozen with fear with the exception of one person, this kid named David. Taking only five smooth stones in his sling and his faith, History tells us that David went on to face Goliath in battle and proclaim these words. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and I'll cut off your head. This very day, I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And sure enough, David would go on to defeat Goliath and the Israelites, the Philistines, You see, the name of the Lord represents power. So what's in a name? Well, when we're talking about God, absolutely everything. Now, circling back to our passage, catch what Jesus prays. Holy Father, keep them in your name. In other words, Jesus wants you and me to live under the veil of God's faithfulness, his presence, and his power. When we face insecurity like a young Moses, God will be there to assure us. When we face isolation or burnout like an older Moses, God will be there to encourage us. When we face attacks like a growing David Hayden, God will be there to defend us. So what's in a name? Absolutely everything is in the name of the Lord our God. And Jesus prays that name over you and me. And now as we unpack the rest of Jesus' prayer, he calls us in two directions, in and out. And this leads us to point two. In the Father's name, Jesus calls us into unity. The late A.W. Tozer wrote, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos 
all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other. They're of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. It's quite an image, right? Well, this attunement, this unity, is found at the heart of Jesus' prayer. Listen again to these words. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And I, thought, I find this call to unity especially compelling because it's the main thing Jesus prays in this high priestly prayer, his last meeting with the disciples before the crucifixion. And without stealing Pastor Cody's thunder for next week as he closes out John 17, Jesus prays for unity again and again and again in John 17. Jesus does not pray for the provision for the disciples, though they will need God to provide for them. He doesn't pray for the plans of the disciples, though they will need him to guide them. And he doesn't pray for the success of the disciples, though they they will surely need God to show them his favor. No, Jesus prays that they may be one as he and the Father are one. Jesus prays for the unity of his followers his budding church, above all things. For all of us, this should cause us to pull back and pause and ask, am I praying and aiming for unity above all things in my faith walk? Or might my affections and attention be channeled elsewhere? You see, for Jesus, unity in his family, the church, is not an optional thing. It is an essential thing. And here's the deal. The formula Jesus presents is very simple. Intimacy with God results in harmony with one another. In other words, if we know and love God, we will know and love one another in the family of God. And conversely, if we somehow lose sight of God we will lose sight of one another and discord will ensue. This reminds me of what I have the privilege of sharing at every wedding I officiate. I turn to the bride and the groom and I say, friends, in light of the gospel in your marriage, do not fix your gaze on one another but on the Lord. For if you fix your gaze on one another, you'll find yourself looking for things in your spouse that they will not be able to supply. Eventually, you will either crush them or look past them with the weight of your longings. However, if together as a couple, you're able to fix your gaze on the Lord, and if you're able to see him as the source and model of love, your marriage and your family will flourish. Then I go on to share these words from the late C.S. Lewis. Being in love is a good thing, but it's not the best thing. Love, as distinct from being in love, is not merely a feeling. It's a deep unity, maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit, reinforced by the grace which both partners ask and receive from God. And this, you see, is not meant just for marriage. As brothers and sisters in Jesus, we're meant to cultivate a deep Unity maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened 
by habit, reinforced by the grace by which we give and receive from the Lord as a church family. You see, in the Father's name, we're called in, into unity. And this leads me to point three. In the Father's name, Jesus calls us out, out on mission. All right, to begin this last point, I need to share a confession. It was about 17 or 18 months ago that I shared the story of the gentleman who was invited to go up in a French fighter jet. Remember this? And he panicked and accidentally hit the eject button. True story. To his surprise, he went flying out of the cockpit at 2,500 feet above sea level and somehow survived. And I asked our church, how many of you, this was March 2020, if you remember the sermon, how many of you right now want to hit the eject button? And virtually all of you were hands up, right? I think we're virtually worshiping at that point at home, but I just remember all of us wanted to hit the eject button. Well, it's 2021, and here's my confession. Yes, I do. I want to hit the eject button. How about you? Sometimes in life, my dream is not to secure or steal a fighter jet and fly away, but I have dreamt about traveling the world in one of these. Think about it. Camping in the Rockies, sipping smoothies, Colin, on the North Shore of California, watching a beautiful sunset at the Mucky Duck on Captiva Island. Who's with me? Aaron's, Aaron's like, I've been telling you for months, let's do this. All right, we're going to hit the road one, fellas. Let's go. Carly's like, have fun. Here's the deal. The truth is, for centuries, people have been trying to escape the world, especially Christians. Maybe it's the brokenness. Maybe it's the messiness. Maybe it's the sinfulness all around us. From the early desert fathers to the monasteries that emerged during the Middle Ages to even certain insular patterns we as adults or parents put in place to shield ourselves or our kids or our families from the world, many of us have removed ourselves from the world in certain regards. And yet, while this is understandable, it's not preferable, at least according to Jesus. In verses 15 through 18 of our passage, we read, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one, Jesus prays. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. Thus, Jesus calls us, his followers, to be in the world, but not of the world. You ever hear that before? And he uses this meaningful word, sanctify, to make his point. Let me unpack this word right now. Have you ever been chosen for a special assignment at school or work? Give me a nod. Jonathan, okay, Adelaide, yeah, okay. When Carly, my wife, was a little girl, she was chosen as the junior raspberry queen for her little town, Hopkins, Minnesota. And as the junior raspberry queen, she was asked to go out and go to all these events around Minnesota to represent her little city. All these parades she got to take part in. 
Carly thought it was the greatest thing in the world, and as much as she's told me about it, I still think she holds it as the greatest moment of her life. (laughs) Well, when we see this word sanctify in the Bible, sometimes it's translated holy, and honestly, that word holy can scare us, can it? We can sometimes think, is God calling me to be perfect in order to share about Jesus and his love? However, this word sanctify can also be translated to be set apart or to be set apart for a higher purpose. And for many of us, this is easier to understand. What Jesus is saying here in our passage is something like this, Brittany. Carly, Jen, Angie, Michael, I'm calling you to be set apart for special assignment in me. Guided by the word of God, united as the people of God, bearing the name of God, I want you to go love this broken world for me. Call people into the family. Call people into the fold. Call people to forgiveness of sins in me. This is my hope and this is my prayer. The late John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, would say there are three conversions for a Christian. First, conversion to Christ. Second, conversion to the church of Christ. And third, conversion to the cause of Christ. And this is what Jesus prays for in John 17. You see, Jesus not only calls us in, Jennifer, he calls us out to live on mission with him. And friends, guess what results when we live like this? Pure joy. Right in the Middle of John 17, verse 13, we read these words as found in the Amplified Version. Listen to how it reads. I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may experience my joy made full, incomplete, and perfect within them, filling their hearts with my delight. That sounds good, doesn't it? In other words, we don't need to get a sprinter van Move to Slovenia, Pinellas, whatever that place is you keep talking about, in order to be satisfied and full of the Lord's joy. No, Jesus wants us to experience his joy by calling us in and calling us out in the Father's name. So, in summary, what's in a name? Well, speaking of God, the name by which we are covered and connected, absolutely everything. If we're feeling insecure today, isolated or burned out today, or in danger today, Jesus wants us to find shelter and strength in the name of the Lord our God. Second, Jesus calls us in, into unity. This is his heartbeat and this is his prayer. So listen, if there's someone you need to forgive in the body of Christ, I call you to forgive them today. If you need to seek forgiveness here in the body of Christ, I call you to seek forgiveness today. And let us aim for such intimacy with one another that we have beautiful harmony as a church family. Wouldn't that be beautiful and compelling? And lastly, Jesus calls us out, out on mission, Cooper. While it's tempting to want to escape the world, Jesus calls us to live for him in our world. He sets us apart and places us with certain babies, in certain families, in certain neighborhoods, in certain settings to declare his peace, his hope, and his love.
to our world in need. Here's my encouragement this week as we go out from this place that you look for an opportunity every single day to pray for someone. Pray that God would lead you to prayer. Have eyes to see and hearts to respond. Now to close, allow me to share a short story, excuse me, a short story from the great philosophical work, Peanuts. In a scene in a house, Lucy comes inside the room and she demands that Linus change the TV station, threatening him with her fist if he doesn't. And Linus then asks, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? These five fingers, Lucy says. Individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Which channel do you want? Linus then replies. And next, Linus turns away, looks at his fingers and says, why can't you guys get organized like that? One fellowship, let's get organized beautifully and powerfully as the family of God. Jesus prayed, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me that they may be one, even as we are one. And as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that you call us by your name. You cover us by your name. You offer us your faithfulness, your presence, and your power. May our lives be lived under your name. As we come to this time of response, I pray that you would search us and know us. Unbind our hearts from the things that bind us, that keep us from following you and living on mission with you. I do pray that you would place a fresh call to unity and mission on our hearts today. We pray this for our profound joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.